Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Ingrid Carney. She is the founder of Ingrid and Isabel, the largest maternity brand created by moms for moms. Today, we have the opportunity to hear her own birth stories and how they have changed her and have shaped the brand. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Sure. My name is Ingrid. Um, my maiden name is Oconius. Um, and, you know, I always think, why didn't I just keep that? I don't know. I think I'm um, uh, of the time where you just didn't keep your name, and I wish I had. Um, I'm from Texas, although I grew up abroad. Um, my father was a civil engineer with the Corps of, U.S. Corps of Engineers, so we grew up in um, foreign countries. And uh, then I came back here for college. I lived in Texas again, where I was from, and then moved out to California. Um, I worked in advertising and marketing uh, from big top 10 worldwide agencies to then marketing at Silicon Valley startups uh, before taking a break, having Isabel, and then starting this company. Um, my husband and I have two daughters, Isabel and Alexandra, who go by Maggie and Sasha, which seems to not make sense, but it makes sense to us. <laughs> and um, and the company, you know, I'm the founder and CEO of Ingrid Nisbal. We've been around since 2003 was our first shipment, and now we are 35 plus people and uh, going strong. Can you tell us a little bit about your pregnancy? Uh, yes. So, you know, having been, I don't know if you call it a workaholic, but I worked a lot. Um, pregnancy was just another item on the to-do list. I knew when I wanted to have a kid, I went to go get pregnant. I got pregnant. Everything was just in the order that it was supposed to happen. It was not hard for me. And I always got exactly what I wanted. And in my pregnancy, um, well, there was one event happened that threw me for a loop and it made me pay a little bit more attention um, because everything could kind of happen the way I'd planned my life. And, and then when I was newly pregnant, um, I went into the doctor, I'd got the right doctor that I wanted and everything was perfect. And they came back with a blood test and pulled me into the office and very quickly, uh, said that I had, um, a, a blood issue that I had, um, hepatitis C and that they would have to handle my delivery, um, uh, similar to AIDS patients. And I was just really confused. I'd had hepatitis A as a child, but I was just confused. Long story short, it turned out I didn't have hepatitis C. It was a, a blood error, a, a blood test error. But for that 48 hours that we thought I did, I realized that anything can go wrong in a pregnancy, that, that actually it's the body and that's in charge. And, and you can do the best you can. You can drink water, you can sleep, you can exercise, you can eat right or not. I didn't do all those things, but really your body is your body pregnant and you're kind of on that journey. And outside of you aiding whatever you can aid, 
you're, you're, you're going to experience what you experience because your body's in charge. And so it made me pay attention a little bit differently. And it made me decide that I wouldn't have a birth plan going into the hospital, but rather I let the events unfold as they unfold. And I would be flexible and go with the flow because I very early on, you learned you can't really control everything. And I was concerned that if I tried to control it, that I'd only be disappointed and it stressed me, stressed me out, which is what happened early on in that first test. Now, granted, nothing happened. I didn't have a blood issue, but like I said, it made, just made me realize that birth planning just might set me up for disappointment. And rather I just say, the doctors will take care of me and I will do the best I can to be a healthy pregnant mom and we'll see what happens, which also didn't work out as planned, <laughs> but I can tell you about that later. <laughs> I think so many people are used to um, creating these birth plans that it does become a thing that becomes more stressful than it is helpful for some people, right? Um, you show up with this list of things that you want to happen and as they don't happen or don't happen the way you thought they would, you kind of in your head are mentally checking off these things. Oh, that's out the window. Well, that's out the window. Yes. But it is good to look at it. Um, if you do have certain things, of course, if you want to have some ideas and thoughts and goals around your pregnancy, um, but also being kind of loose in the mind about certain things while you put your health and advocating for great care above some of the other things, right? Yeah. You know, one of my employees, she, I mean, she has three kids and she delivered all of them naturally. And that was what she set out as her goal. It's like, I want to deliver these kids naturally. Now, how it happened, you know, ordering the bathtub, she wanted to do it in water. In the moment, that didn't work out. And so she allowed herself the flexibility. But it's kind of what you're saying, Danielle, which is to kind of, you know, say, this is what I want to try to do. And then, having a little flexibility when you get in there because it may or may not work out that way or you may not feel it. You may feel like you want something different with no medical indication saying you should change the plan. You just might say, I feel differently <laughs> than I did three months ago. <laughs> I mean, that just goes back to the body being in control. That's it. it is. You are literally here. <laughs> nature's way, nature's way, right? So as you were preparing for pregnancy, what things did you actually do? And were there things that were intentional with that outside of knowing that you didn't want to plan it out? But how did you and your husband prepare? We, we, I, you know, I kind of thought that everything that was going to happen to me was going to be textbook. I thought I'm going to be pregnant for nine months and I'm going to gain, you know, 28 pounds and I'm going to go into the hospital and I'm going to give birth and then the baby's going to appear on my chest and I'm going to nurse her and then I'll go home in 48 hours and I'll put on my pre-pregnancy pants when I do it. That's what I thought was going to happen. <laughs> and so in planning for that, you know, I would say that I thought that was going to happen, but I, um, 
I ate the donut holes late at night when my husband wasn't around. Let's just be honest. Um, one time I baked a pie shell with no pie in it and I ate it. Um, I, I like everything I dreamed of doing or I did in college, I did pregnant. Like I was like, oh, but I'm pregnant and I'm pregnant. Oh, I'm pregnant. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to have that cookie because I'm pregnant. Um, so that was pregnancy number one. So no, the 28 pounds didn't happen. It was more like 50. And, um, and that, that kind of went out. So that went out the window. I, um, I, went into the, I went into the doctor at month eight and a half and they told me that my baby was breech. So another point of being flexible, it's like, okay, we're breech. What does this mean? How do we do it? I'm, I'm flexible. I didn't make a plan. So let's see here. They're like, well, you can try to flip her or you can do a C-section. So it's like, okay, well, let's talk about the flipping thing. So I went in to flip her and, um, it gave me a steroid. My heart raced. That freaked me out. Again, another experience. I hadn't had a lot of hospital experience. Another experience of a medication going into my body um, and having an effect on me that I could feel that that was a little alarming to me. Um, and then having two doctors and two nurses on my body giving me what felt like the worst Swedish massage in my life on my stomach and like flipping her around and then when it was done, I was like, okay, it's done. She's flipped back on track. Well, no, not back on track because again, it was a little early and then my water broke. So then it's like, okay, well, water broke. Here we are. It's a little early. It's fine. Let's get the bag packed. We're doing what we think. Again, we're normal. Nothing extraordinary happens to us. We go into the hospital and they say, all the beds are full and you can't come in. So we're going to give you an antibiotic. And again, this is the person who doesn't take medication ever. I like, okay, give you an antibiotic so you don't get an infection. Alert word scared me. Um, you're going to go home and do this on your own. And then you come in when you can't handle it anymore. I was like, what? Like, <laughs> when do, what, what is not can't handle mean? What is like pain? Like what level of pain? If I feel just a little bit, a lot and pain tolerance is a different person by person. So I go home. It also means I couldn't sleep because I was waiting for the pain to come. I was waiting for any indication. There was no relaxing whatsoever. So I spent 24 hours not sleeping um, with taking the antibiotic and just sitting in the rocking chair in her room, you know, waiting for that moment. My husband's sleeping, but fully dressed, ready to go. And then it was finally, you know, 24 hours later. And I'm thinking, this is dangerous. They gave me antibiotic. I have no one to talk to. Um, I didn't look anything up online. I'm thinking I'm in uncharted territory and I have no one telling me what to do and no one's calling me to say, you should come in now. There's a bed available. So I felt like I had to take matters into my own hands. So I said, that's it. We're going to the hospital. I'm scared. So we go in. I'm not really feeling anything yet, but we demand a bed. So we get a bed, get into a room get organized. And they're like, okay, you are one centimeter dilated. I was like, oh my God. Okay. So we stick around and, and to say like 24 hours went by another 24 hours went by, um, no sleeping. So I'm in day two of not sleeping. Um, I'm only dilated about six centimeters and they're giving me an epidural 
and they're giving me Demerol and they're giving me more epidural, um, I won't progress. Um, I'm exhausted. And now to the point they've given me the max amount of epidural for my size and I can't feel anything from here down, nothing from, you know, my stomach down. So I just looked at my husband, we're going into day three and I say, I, uh, I can't, I can't do this any longer. I'm, I'm exhausted. And I said it in a different way, but I'm just like, I'm, I'm giving up and I'm not a person to ever give up on anything. Like this is, I'm in very uncharted territory. So my husband goes out and demands, um, attention. So they come in and then they decide they're going to give me a C-section. They call it an emergency rush C-section. There was no emergency, but that's what they called it. Um, we go in and I'm terrified and I'm whining. I'm concerned. And the doctor told me, oh my God, please go to your happy place. And I'm I'm like, I don't know what to do, but I'm taking instructions because she didn't want to hear me complaining anymore. Again, we're on day three. And so I start singing. That's all I know how to do. I'm strapped down to the table. The blue paper is up. The doctors are in. We're about to do a C-section. I'm, I'm coherent, which is also another thing that scared me. Um, and we process, we go through the C-section and, um, she comes out quiet. Um, they, they get her to cry and that's great, but I'm thinking, well, I've been drugged for two days. Maybe she's been drugged for two days. I don't know what's going on here. Um, everything is fine with the baby. Um, and then I start to go into C-section recovery, but then I can't keep any water down and I can't not eating any food. Water will pop in and pop right back out. Like it's involuntary reflux. The water is just coming out of my mouth. Um, that scared me. Uh, my milk wasn't coming in. That scared me. Baby's crying. That scared me. And I haven't slept. And now I'm going on day four. And they say that I have four days of recovery in the hospital from the C-section. So things just, things just didn't get better until maybe the last day. I couldn't sleep. I, um, my stomach wasn't allowing me to sleep. I had burning, uh, in my esophagus and in my throat. Um, ultimately, uh, and then when I called the doctors because I was so scared, um, in the middle of the night, uh, another one got mad at me. She was like, what do you want? What do you need? What's the problem? It was two in the morning and I'm crying and I'm alone and my baby's next to me crying and milk's not coming in and I can't sleep and water's not staying down. I haven't eaten. I haven't drank anything. And I just felt like the, the doctors were just, I don't know, like they were annoyed with me and, um, and it was confusing. So this is, this was that experience where I thought everything was going to be perfect. And then when I went home, um, you know, I looked like a totally different person. I mean, the, everybody has that gorgeous photo at the hospital. There's no gorgeous photo for me. I looked like I'd been run over by a truck and I felt like I'd been run over by a truck. Um, it, 
it was really hard. Uh, so that, that was the, that was what happened compared to my loose plan, really thinking everything was just going to be easy and perfect. Like I'm not extraordinary. I'm ordinary. And what's going to happen to me is what happens for most people. And it's the lack of care, but they call it medical care. Like how, how do you not hear that word every day, all day and not actually put it into practice? Yeah. And, and, you know, going into this, because again, I thought I had it under control. Like I know what I'm doing. I didn't hire a doula or midwife. It was kind of like me. I mean, I'm, I gave birth in 2001. So, you know, back then I was also saying, what's the point of whole foods? What's that? You know, like, why do I care about organic food? What's that? That was me. Like I wasn't against it. I just didn't understand it. And so I didn't understand midwifery or, or, the, the purpose of a doula, I thought, well, I'm in the hospital. I'm with doctors and nurses. They're taking care of me. I don't have to do anything. I just show up. But, um, you know, I ha- how can you advocate for yourself when you don't know what's happening? You've never done it before. And things aren't going the way they are described in the textbook and absolutely not going the way they talked about it in the, in the class that you attend on how to breathe. There was no breathing. There was no there was no, that that part didn't happen for me, so everything I learned in that class with my husband didn't apply, and and nor did they address what might happen if this doesn't happen for you. If you don't labor, you might not labor. Something else might happen. None of that was covered, either. So I had no tools, I had no information, I definitely didn't have support um, in in figuring out where to go and what to do. My husband and I were both scared it's i i always think in my mind like anytime and i think this is reiterating what danny was saying but anytime that a, a care provider has someone coming in i in my mind the the way that you address it is you know nothing so how can i make you feel informed in this moment even if i don't have 20 minutes how in this five minute span can i give you enough information that you feel like you can make a decision that works for you. You feel like you're supported. You feel like you can ask questions. Um, and even if I don't have an answer, how can I then go back to just make sure that you feel safe? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because like you said, like, I mean, even if with mm-hmm. a birth plan, without a birth plan, things come up that you may not have been aware of that or even thought you would have to expect. So I'm then relying on the care providers to, supplement that information, help me then navigate what's going to happen next. Um, And also, like you said, it's uncharted territory. Like no matter how many children you have, you're always going into this, like this experience is its own experience. I have, I have no idea what this is going to (laughs) bring. Exactly. Exactly. And and the birth for my second was different. I changed doctors, um, changed hospitals. Um, I, uh, I went in just deciding that I would have a C-section. I didn't want to chance a VBAC. Um, I didn't feel like I had enough information. Uh, and so I went to a high risk doctor. Um, and now granted my daughter was alive. She was, her, her life was not in danger. I don't think. Um, and I was alive. 
So blessings, blessings, right? Our lives were not threatened. It was, it was more that I couldn't recover. And now that we know more, so much more about sleep, um, when you go for five days to six days without sleeping, you, it's danger zone. It's, it's really bad. And even that simple thing, um, like no one was even advocating for my sleep. I mean, doctors should be saying, you need to sleep. You can't do any of this until you sleep. We're going to take the baby away from you. We're not going to allow anyone in your room. We have monitors on you. We want you to know we're watching you and that you're safe. So rest. You're safe. We've got you. We'll be outside this door. And we have every indicator telling us when you're not safe. Like if somebody could have said that, I could have slept during that labor time when I was on epidural. I could have slept after I gave birth, you know, but I was scared and no one was, was, you know, helping me. I'll also add that, and I was at a teaching hospital, which meant that every appointment after birth happened twice. And so there were now the OBGYN, the doctors who performed the surgeries, and then there were the pediatricians looking for the baby. So with the teaching hospital, I had the interns coming in first, asking all the questions. Then they'd go out and report to their doctor. And then the doctor would come in with the intern and go over it again. So the appointments doubled. Now, I appreciate teaching hospitals. I think it's really important, but not for the sake of the health and well-being of the mother. That doesn't work. And apparently I'd heard that I was we gave birth in July. And so I heard that the new shift started July one, we were at July 26. So I had a new shift of students who were learning on my, on my dime. And so, uh, it, there was no time to sleep because when they come in to talk to you, you have to talk to them and you have to answer all the questions that they're asking you. Um, and so that happened several times a day for four days. I, I appreciate you bring. Yeah, I'm just. <laughs> I appreciate you bringing up about the teaching hospital um, situation because, like you said, appreciate it. It's important, but there has to be a balance of respecting the care for the person rather than what needs to be learned in that moment. If I see that someone, this might not be the right situation. Hey, let's keep it moving, or even. Starting off with, are you okay with an intern supporting me through your care? And knowing at any moment you can decide to change your mind. Excellent point. Excellent point. (laughs) Solved. Solved. It allows there to... (laughs) I'm putting a lot of work on people who are in labor and immediate postpartum. Mm -hmm. You just sometimes don't even have an energy for no. Right. Yeah. You're literally going with the flow and just wanting things to be done. Like, fine, do it. Right. Right. Walk away. Yeah. I haven't slept. Yeah. Haven't slept. A woman's sleep. Yeah. I'm not well right now. Any answer I, I give you may not be accurate. <laughs> yeah. Actually. Right. I don't even know who I am right now. Um, Ask that first. I know. I know. Oh, wow. 
so yeah. again, I mean, it, I appreciate that you all are giving me the moment to kind of get this off my chest, even though it's been so long. Uh, because I, I hate, I don't like to complain. Hence why I think that, you know, I went home when they told me to take an antibiotic and go home and do this on my own. And then why I let them take me into two more days of labor. And I, you know, I just didn't know how to advocate for myself. And I don't, I feel bad complaining. I feel like doctors and nurses, um, you know, they, they do what they do for a calling. They are some of the smartest and brightest people on this planet. They take care of people and, um, and, and they help all of us. And I think that that is so important and I'm so beyond grateful for that. Um, what, what's challenging is the system that we're all wrapped up in, right? And it's an antiquated system in two ways. One, it was created a long time ago. So it's, it's not only antiquated in the processes sometimes, but also I think in the, in the infrastructure of, of the systems. And then two, we just learn so much about the social and emotional side of humans that, and knowing that that's directly connected to the, the physical medical side, that that has a direct effect on it. Um, being comfortable, being, fe- feeling safe might actually mean I can deliver the baby perhaps. Um, I think that, that all those learnings are important for us to integrate into a new system. So I, I hate to blame the, you know, any doctor or nurse that might've delivered my child. Um, but I, cause I think that when you're in the system, you're influenced by what you're surrounded by. There's modeling there. Um, and I know I'm kind of, talking out of left field. I'm not a doctor or nurse. I've never worked in a hospital, but I've just delivered two kids. And these were my experiences, right? So my second experience, I had an, an excellent doctor who paid a lot of attention. She took everything that happened to me very seriously. It was not about bedside matter. It was, she was here to, to do a job and it was very important. And I highly respected and continue to respect that. Um, I think that, uh, I felt like I needed to know that someone was in control and she was in control. She read me. I remember I was in there for the C-section and like the first one I was awake. And then, um, you know, while she's performing the C-section and the anesthesiologist is there, my husband is there and someone else is there. Um, in the middle of it, I started to get scared again, um, And I think it was because, you know, I was feeling the tugging on my body, but I wasn't feeling what was happening. Uh, I was just feeling the tugging and that scared me. And then also I just had memories of before. And so I got really scared and she, with her eyes, she was like, she just kept on saying, well, she's performing and she's not known for bedside manner. She's known for excellence. Um, she's performing the C-section. She's like, Ingrid, you okay? Ingrid, you okay? And at one point I was like, I'm getting scared. I'm getting scared. And she just literally looked at the anesthesiologist. The anesthesiologist did what he needed to do. And then I was calm. And that's just the way I had, that was my thing. That's what had to happen to me. Would I have liked to go through that without extra drugs? Absolutely. But then I had a freak out moment and she knew how to handle it. And I was handled. I had to come off of that medication, but I, I knew that I was, she kept me calm. And I think that that 
was really important. Like I needed a drug to be calm, but she kept me calm because then I had to be there for my baby. A really excellent thing that you you bring up is one, your care providers being in tune with you and your needs mm-hmm. um, and being able to support you specifically with what how care needs to be happen. But then how you brought up um, that like, I may not be a care provider, but I know from my experiences. And Danielle and I say all the time, our lived experiences are just important as anybody's textbook or what you're learning in school. And they can tell us sometimes just as much or even more about what could happen, should happen, or what is happening, right? Um, So yes, your stories, your experiences are just as valuable to any care provider about how to be better Mm -hmm. and how to care for for people who are having, who are growing their families. I agree. And what makes it powerful is when the two are combined. There's your power. Mic drop. We're done. Just <laughs> listen to this episode. <laughs> Come around to this part right here. At 29. Exactly. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. um, so once you did make it home, Tell us about how postpartum was for you at home. Well, I had the support of my parents um, and my husband and my sister came out to see us as well. And um, that was great. Um, But I think there was just so much excitement over the baby and Isabel. And um, that there was a lot of, Ooing and eyeing and gooing that again, a lot of the focus was on her and not me, including myself. I wasn't really focusing on me. I was dealing with C-section scar. I was trying to figure out how to shower and bathe. I was trying to get nursing going. My milk finally came in and I was, I was doing that. Okay. I ended up getting mastitis pretty early on. Um, but also (laughs) on the side, another 10 weeks, was it 10 weeks? No, it was like six weeks in maybe. Um, uh, my husband, before I got pregnant, my husband had a surf trip planned and then I got pregnant and he said, Oh my gosh, you're going to give birth. And then I have the surf trip planned right after that. And again, I, I'm not extraordinary. I can control, I can do anything. I'm like, you're, you're fine. You go on a surf trip. I'll be fine. So he, he went on a surf trip <laughs> and uh, mom and dad had left. Sister had left. I was alone. I thought I could handle it and I, I couldn't handle it. Now there was that, but then I think just in general, um, something just started to happen inside of me and I couldn't, I couldn't describe it, but I started to zone out. Um, I started to uh, feel like I was alone, even when family was around. Friends would come to see. And I remember thinking, um, it's almost like I was, I was in, there was a piece of glass between us. And you know how you try to talk and it sounds a little muffled and you don't know who's on the other side. I felt like that. And it didn't sound exactly like that. I just felt like I was in a very different place than they were. And people were just kind of coming over and seeing the baby in the middle of their lives. And I would come down stairs and 
be dressed and bring the baby. And there was a lot of ooing and aahing. But then they leave and I go back to, you know, trying to keep the baby alive, um, trying to get my sleep in and trying to think about meals. But I always felt like I was a few steps behind. Like I wasn't in control. I wasn't in charge. I was a few steps behind of everything. Like be like, oh yeah, I have to eat. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I know I should sleep. Oh, oh yeah, who's doing that? How do we do the laundry? And I felt foggy. Um, it eventually rolled into full on postpartum depression, but I didn't know what that was. And uh, it was the chapter I didn't read in what to expect when expecting because I didn't think it would apply to me. Can't. I'm not extraordinary. I'm ordinary. So um, I uh, I remember crying to my daughter when it was her and me in the bed one time. And I was crying and I just said to her, this little infant, I don't love you. Uh, I'm so sorry. I don't love you. And I just, I, I just bawled at that idea. Um, and then I'd have to keep going. And then I'd feel guilty. And then I'd feel like, you know, who is this and and what is this and what did I sign up for? Um, No one had ever talked to me about this. And I had many friends who had kids before me. And I didn't know that they didn't talk to me about it. I thought I was the only person going through it. So navigating my way out of that was hard and no one came to check on me for it. One friend did ask, are you okay? And then I just started bawling, crying and they didn't know what to do. They froze. And then they said, there's two girls at the same time. They said, can you pinpoint what's making you sad? Um, I was crying so hard. I just shook my head and I kept crying, holding my baby and they had to go. They asked me how I was at the end of their hour with me. And they were like, I'm so sorry. We have to go. I have to go pick up the kids or I have to go do this. or And so then I was left crying with the first person who'd even asked me how I was doing. And then they had to go. So I was left with that. And I didn't, I don't even remember what I did that rest of that day. Uh, I just, I just remember having these feelings every day. And, and then I just got used to having the feelings. I thought this was just me as a new mom, but you get busy with what you need to do to take care of your kid and keep them alive. You get busy with feeding You get busy with writing your notes down on which breast you last nursed. You get busy with washing the phalanges for pumping. You get busy with, you know, washing clothes and changing the bed and changing the diaper and feeding and, you know, trying to figure out how to, how to feed, when to feed, what to feed. And, and then that becomes your normal all the while unhappy, not like I'm unhappy. You couldn't actualize it. You just are. Um, and then over time, I don't know. It's like the, the clouds cleared. 
I don't know that whether it was that I finally learned what to do or how to do this. And I got, I feel like I got better at it. She was turning corners. Um, her sleeping was getting better. I was losing that weight over time, not really trying, but I was beginning, that weight was beginning to come off. I ended up giving up on breastfeeding after four months. It just was too hard for me. Even though I wasn't working, I just I wasn't producing enough milk and I had to get over that guilt. And, and then when friends would come over, um, I started to just be a little less sad. And then I joined a mommy's group. Somebody said, you should join a mommy's group. So I joined a mommy's group at about six months and then I met other women and it never dawned on me to make friends, new friends. Like I have my friends. No, I need friends with people who are going through this at the exact same time as me. I never knew that. And, um, I would, I think that that, that changed everything. I, I was no longer alone, right? I wasn't just talking to a baby. I was talking to another human who could respond. I was sharing what my pediatrician said. She is sharing what her pediatrician said. We were all becoming smarter. We were getting better at what we were doing. We were getting better at being moms. We were beginning to apply things we were being taught and we were learning. And then I guess I felt more useful. I felt like I could be productive, not just in that fog catching up, but like I could control this a little bit better that I, I had some, I had some influence on this destiny and maybe, maybe that's when the clouds started to, to, to retreat. And was your husband aware of how you were feeling during this time? He was, but he, we both didn't know about postpartum depression. So we didn't have a label for it. It's very different now. Um, but we didn't have a label for it, um, at the time. And so he knew that I was sad, but he didn't know what to do other than to kind of, you know, try to make me meals and try to, um, hold the baby and, you know, whatever he could do to help he tried to do. Um, but we didn't know that I was going through something more serious than that. So we just had to get through it ourselves. Thinking about that with Isabel, what was it like the second time around, like having that knowledge about what postpartum looked like? How did you prepare or um, navigate that the second time? Mm -hmm. So I, I think that it's important to note, and, and I, for some reason, I personally just feel like this has some effect on it. On the second one, I didn't gain 50 pounds. Uh, by the way, I'm 5'1", so 50 pounds is a lot on me. Um, so it's all relative, right? So I was a hundred and some like 110 or 105, I forget to gain 50 pounds is a lot. So the second time I gained more like 28 pounds. Um, and I, I ate better. I exercised. I didn't restrict my eating. I just ate differently. I didn't have so many sweets. I didn't do the donut holes. I didn't do the, you know, the, the pie crust in the oven. <laughs> at 11 o'clock at night. Um, so I, I gained less weight. I walked, I'd walk with friends. Um, and I knew I was going to do a V back. I'm sorry. I knew I was going to do a C-section and not a V back. So 
things were a little bit more organized and planned. My doctor was in control. I rested in the hospital. I had them take the baby in another room. Whereas the first time I was like, she's not leaving my side. I'm like, oh no, no, no. You take this one, Sasha, you take her and you put her in that room. I'm going to sleep. And so I programmed my sleeping in the hospital. Again, I had four days because of a C-section. I made a couple of friends in, in the, in the maternity ward with other moms because I could walk. And before I wasn't walking and this time I was walking, um, I actually, uh, they said that they could bring, come in for post postnatal massage. So I had somebody come in and give me a massage on my side. Um, I, uh, actually had them bottle feed her twice so that I could sleep through the night, the first two nights, um, or no, the second two nights. Um, and that was totally fine. Uh, and I went home feeling rested. That was very different. There was a moment where I started to daze out and look foggy again. And my husband knew the signs. We talked about the signs before we went in and he read the signs. And I remember he said, give me the baby. And so I gave him the baby and he said, go upstairs and go to bed. And it was like five 30 and he said, go to bed. And so I came back down at like eight and I was up until midnight, you know, with the babies and, uh, but we knew how to take care of me. And again, nobody helped us through this. No doctors or nurses helped us through this. It was experience that taught us how we needed to do this for ourselves. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and also being so transparent about your journeys. Um, and like, I, you know, you said like it, you weren't aware that your friends weren't sharing those pieces with you. Um, and that's one thing about this platform is like allowing people to hear all the parts of being a parent, all the parts. Um, but you, from having Maggie and Sasha, you then um, had the birth of Ingrid and Isabel. So can you tell us about how that came to be? Yes. So when I uh, became an awesome mom with Isabel, I hadn't had, I wasn't pregnant with Sasha yet. Um, I had already thought of the Bella band uh, at my last startup. And I thought, you know, I met play group with the moms and we're all holding these little babes that are all about, I don't know, eight months, 10 months old. They're sitting up. We're kind of at a park and um, we all start talking about what we did before we were stay at home moms. Everybody, people were either on maternity leave or they were no longer working. And uh, we start to talk about what we did. And then we start to talk about things like, like, you know, we're talking about how this thing you have, this baby product you have doesn't work, or this thing is your favorite thing. Oh, well, look at this. Or don't you hate it when you're breastfeeding and you, you can't hold the, what, you know, or if you're pumping and you can't hold the phalanges, don't you hate that? Like all those conversations are happening. And this is, again, this is way back in 2001, 2002. And so, uh, being, being the women that we were, everybody started sharing, like, I wish I had a bra that held up the pump so that you don't, could be hands-free. Like, 
This is a long time ago. And we're all, somebody was talking about that. I'm going to invent a whatever, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. And I said, well, you know, I actually invented something, I think, and I shared the Bella Band with them. And they all just stared at me. <laughs> they said, what, You're, you have it? I was like, yeah, I, I have one. I, I made it for myself, and I used it through my uh, pregnancy and after I had my baby. Uh, and so, you know, they're like, show it to us. So I show it to them. And then they, they just all said, you should, you should totally do that. So I started to explore when Isabel would nap. And of course, because I thought I was such a great mom, she's such an incredible napper. She napped three hours a day, every day without fail. Um, and not until my second child arrived, did I realize it wasn't me. <laughs> it was the, the child. Right. Um, so during her naps, I would start to investigate, you know, fabric and I'd look online. Is there anything else like this? Um, if I were to make it, how would I make it? But I started to talk to people. Uh, and then those conversations led to me saying, okay, what if I, I'm going to write an executive summary? Like, what if I were to do this? So I write an executive summary. Okay. Well, what's the problem that women are living with? Well, what's the solution? Um, how would I handle, how would I how would I create this? Um, how many do I think I could sell? Well, how many women are given birth in America? And, you know, so I went through the, all the exercise and the research. And then at some point um, I decided to make samples and test them against the moms in the mommy group and ex- other moms that I didn't know in my mommy group, but were part of the larger mommy group organization in San Francisco. It was called Golden Gate Mothers Group, which is still around today. And so I invited all these women over to my house. We all had little toddlers all around and many of them were on their second pregnancy. Um, so they, I invited them all to try on these bands and they all gave me feedback and it was all very strong. So then I created bands and mailed them to women that I, that I needed to take, needed them to take home with them and wear them for a month. I wanted to know what she what she experienced in a month of this product. Did she pick it up? Was it more of a novelty and she used it for the first two days and then tossed it? Did it work? What did it work with? Not it, What did it not work with? Was it too tight? Was it too loose? Was it high enough? Did it disguise? Did people know your pants were undone? You know, like I had all those questions to ask. And when the feedback came back, it was still continued to be very strong that women not only used it, but they would they would buy it. So then that's when my husband and I kind of looked at each other and said, well, should we do this? Well, maybe we do it. Well, how much would it cost? And what if I did it myself? And, you know, this could be knocked off. And could I get patents in the apparel industry? And again, all of this was during nap time, those three-hour power naps. And then also um, at night when she went to bed. So suddenly this little research project converted over to a little to-do list And then eventually on the to-do list, I added, go register my company with the city of San Francisco. So I go in and I say, okay, I'm going to start this. It's called Ingrid and Isabel. And uh, I get my little paperwork and I'm like, okay, I've officially started. So my husband's like, well, I guess we need a checking account. So (laughs) we start a little checking account and we're like, okay, this is how this works. Neither of us had ever started a company before and he had a job, but you know, it was a, it was it was a slow build because when you're making an apparel garm a pe- garm you know making a garment an apparel accessory, you have to 
order it. You have to wait for them to fit you into the line to make it. You need to test, then you need to reorder it again, get the colors right. And then you wait for them to make it and ship it to you. Then you have all the units, you have to package it. You have to figure out where you're going to sell it. So I had very, a lot of moments where I wasn't busy. So I was still a full-time mom for sure. But then I have these just little moments. So it's like, okay, today I have to decide on the company name. Okay, today I need to work on the logo. Okay, today I need to, you know, figure out how I'm going to package this thing. Um, And then once I got going, I was pregnant with daughter number two, Sasha. And it started to overtake my life. And um, about the time that I was delivering, uh, we had just signed on with P in the Pod and at the time Mimi Maternity which was the brand right under P in the pot, but above motherhood. And we just launched and I didn't expect the, the rush that it had, but there was a rush. They were sold out and they needed hundreds of bands mailed to them overnight, shipped on a Saturday. And I'd just come home from the hospital with a C-section and a second child. So, um, the funny story is that my parents watched this happen. They're trying to help me with nursing and everything. And they just said, you can't do this on your own. So they ended up taking over all the shipping for me. So I, I hired my parents to become my warehouse and distribution center in Texas. While in San Francisco, I managed the fort front side of the business. And again, it was just me. And, um, and then, you know, then it took off my first shipment, You'll see, I gave birth to Isabel in July, 2001. Um, I started to work on the product in 2001, 2002. And then in 2003, I started to write the patent, hired a patent attorney, and then started to fine tune the product after testing. And then by November, 2003, I had my first sale. I love this. Just (laughs) hearing the whole like beginning of how it all started for you. Um, And just the power of our thoughts and our experiences being able to turn it into something that's going to not only support other women and birthing people, but it's another way to help support your family. Oh, yeah. You know, supporting my family, that was huge because, um, you know, they live in South Texas and um, they did it the best way they knew how. So they rented some space in a strip mall that wasn't being used. And it it wasn't a shopping mall. It was a business complex. And they um, hired all of our relatives and relatives' friends to come in and manage the warehouse, uh, which, and then they made best friends with the UPS guy. And uh, I bought them like a label machine so they could label all the boxes that went out and um, they would package everything. And so I had extended relatives that were, you know, working for my parents. And, um, uh, it was, it it was great. I mean, it was really great, especially, you know, just being, being from South Texas and, um, you know, my parents were both the first people in their families to go to college. Um, we have a lot of family that hasn't gone to college. Um, uh, you know, we have, um, a lot of family members that are still doing jobs that, you know, anywhere from cleaning houses to whatever. But then we also have, you know, very advanced degree family members too. But my parents were able to support the people who who needed, you know, this kind of work and felt connected to something that was gaining popularity. And there was a lot of pride with my parents. And it makes me very emotional even talking about it right now. And pride among 
extended family and um, and and even the local community here. That's beautiful. Um, what are some of the other like essential items that you guys have created with Ingrid and Isabel that you're offering? So the Bella Band was the first you know item trying to make mom's lives easier and reducing the amount of maternity you needed to buy particularly early on. So we were always the brand who's basically saying, don't buy so many maternity clothes, just use this. Um, so it's funny to go further into maternity, right? Um, the next, I think we, we ended up coming out with camis and tanks and leggings because we knew how important that was. And that was way back in 2006 that we started, you know, six, we started to develop that because women were, we thought women just want to live in leggings. Um, and so we had seamless leggings, seamless tamis, seamless tanks. And then uh, it was in a, a fitting with a mom in my office. And by this time I had two employees that we kind of came up with this, what we call the crossover panel. And it's a belly panel that's attached to any bottom um, that in the front is shaped to the front of the belly, but in the back it's low. And rather than joining in the back for the single seam so that you have a high back, it actually crosses over. So the right side of the panel circles around your body and attaches to your left back and your left side circles around the bodily body and turns to the bottom right side. So there's a cross in the back and what it does is it removes the fabric from the upper back so that it's cooler. And then that cross has two to four times layers of fabric. And when your belly grows in the front, pressing on that panel, you just get a little bit more pressure on the back. It's so subtle. It's almost like your finger touching your face. There's just something that's there. But even that can feel good on a pregnant body, right? So the idea of the panel is to support you as you grow. Um, and we put that bottom on on several things. And, and since then we've come out with, um, some specific Our sports bra does really well. Women feel super supported and you, you just think it's a sports bra, but when you make it for a breast that's changing sizes after every nursing, it's different preg late pregnancy to immediate postpartum to later postpartum to regular nursing. I mean, fitting out, figuring out your formula, it's like a recipe, but a formula of like the right fabric with the right tension, the right measurements, and then the right strap, and then the right recovery, like the different yarns stretch and recover at different rates. It's complex. And people, I don't think people realize that. Um, so putting all that together and then getting one that's like, we got it right. And then putting it out there um, it can take a couple of years at least. Uh, it, so it doesn't run on a regular apparel cycle, you know, with seasonal launches and apparel cycles tend to be about a year, right? We're already knee deep in spring 2022, um, fall 2021 is done, but, um, the, the innovation is runs on a different schedule. It's like, you want to get it. So it's right. And the crossover panel took a couple of years and we wrote patents on that as well. Um, so it's, and then now, you know, our most recent innovations have been around, um, nursing. We are not a nursing company. Uh, we are not, our superpower isn't making nursing bras, um, which is why we brought on other bras to our site, because I think that there are some amazing bra companies out there and I want to support them. So we're partnered with other brands, but we do have a few 
where we've applied an innovation that we've created and those are doing really well in terms of not only how they're made, but also bringing in this fabric now that has cooling technology. And we're talking about a degree or two cooler, but a degree or two can make everything to make every difference to a mom. So we're, we're looking at recycled fabrics. We're looking at cooling fabrics. We're looking at stretch and recovery improvements on innovation over time. Um, we're looking at further ways to support a growing belly and, you know, the offset of a, a protruding baby on your body that's leaning forward and going out on your back, on your whole form, on the walking, on the running, on the exercise, on just standing in your kitchen, lifting up your child, your toddler. Um, so we, we try to think in that way. And then innovation is furthering in um, trying to be, you know, trying to stay the course on some sort of sustainability path, which, you know, sustainability and planet awareness is in so many ways. It can be in terms of getting natural light in the offices that you work in uh, to making sure your factories recycle the water that they use to produce garments, to using recycled materials where you can, and eventually hoping that our transportation industries come up with better ways to transport so that we can have a less of an impact using, um, you know, petroleum uh, to transport garments from A to B. Um, I, I know some people say we should also produce garments in the U S and, and we do that, but I also believe that we're, a, a, we are one planet and that we are a global economy. And I believe that the product that we produce in other countries helps their economies, which also helps our economy. It helps the global economy. And, um, as long as we're working within factories that are doing the right thing by their people, and paying them well based on their economy so that they can feed their families and live, live quality lives, then I, I support all economies in, in doing that. There's a lot of intention in that. And, you know, it is just easy to say, well, I make this thing, I can get it done at this price, and I'm going to do it this way because it turns a better profit, right? But the thought that has to go into really looking into the companies you're doing business with and how they practice and how it aligns with your company and your values, um, we can appreciate that, right? Um, and our listeners certainly do um, because we do have to think about what we leave for our children, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, where can we get all of these fabulous things. Where do we go <laughs> to get all of these fabulous things? Well, uh, our Ingrid and Isabel products uh, and the products of um, some fabulous brands that we've partnered with are available at Ingrid and Isabel.com. Um, we, uh, you can also find a few of those things at Shop Up and Nordstrom and other in Bloomingdale's other favored retailers of your own. Um, uh, a brand, a line that I'm so proud of, though, is Isabel, which is offered at all Target stores and Target.com. That is a line that we exclusively planned for Target, and it's all of it. So it's not just the innovation pieces that we plan, but we actually um, we do the design and the fitting for all of the garments that in the apparel that has the Isabel name. 
for Target. Um, we've been doing that since 2017. We've been working with Target since 2008, but we've been doing the whole floor pad, the apparel floor pad for since 2017. And we, I mean, we love everything that Target does. We love the company. We love the brand. I think Brian Cornell, the current CEO is doing amazing things. Um, I think they're also an intentional company with a lot of passion and a lot of care and interest in their uh, target guests. So I couldn't be more proud to be uh, a brand that they have entrusted maternity with and to continue to work with them. So every target store. That's exactly where I got my very first band. <laughs> Good. It's like the first thing you buy when you're pregnant. Like, how much longer can I wear these jeans? <laughs> I know, I know. And then people don't even realize you can use it after too. Some people put it away and they say, "Oh, I stopped. I stopped wearing my pregnancy, my pre-pregnancy jeans, so I put it away." And it's like, "Yeah, but did your pregnant, did your maternity pants stay up? Because a lot of maternity pants don't stay up, and it's not necessarily a fault of the maternity pant. It's just like our bodies are all different, right? They all again, you're living in the body, you're on that journey. The body's doing what it's doing, so let's just see what happens." Um, and then after, you know, cause unlike me bringing the pre-pregnancy pants to the hospital, thinking that's what I'm wearing home, um, you, you need some time before you can get back into your pre-pregnancy pants. So use that thing for about a year. Is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners, whether it be advice, any additional information about your birth or any resources that might be able to support them too? You know, one thing that we pride ourselves on is research. Um, we do research study every year um, and it's costly. Uh, I think the most expensive study we did cost about $120,000. Um, but we study mom. And one of the, the studies uh, that we did a few years ago, we followed 10 women for 15 months. And we learned that there are kind of two types of moms get pregnant and you might identify with you'll, you will identify with one of them. At least there's what we call the embracer. And then the other one we've named the independent, but her, her name before that was the fighter. Um, the embracer is the one who reads the pregnancy stick and just says like, I'm all in, this is great. Give me my maxi dresses. Now I am going to just, put on maternity as soon as I can. Let's start decorating the nursery. My Pinterest board is all about having a baby. The fighter is the one who's like, I'm pregnant. I got it done. Check mark. Love it. My Pinterest board is about staying in shape. It's me working out pregnant. It's like my life isn't changing. I'm going to work up until the very last minute. And then I'm going to go back to work, giving my cell phone in the delivery room. Like that is your fighter. But what I found is that, or the study revealed is that everybody ends up in the same place and we all end up as embracers, whether you're going through postpartum, whether you weren't sure whether you wanted your child or not, or this pregnancy, not the child, the pregnancy, um, you, we all end up as embracers because we're, we're moms and we're in this and we're giving birth and whether you're keeping your child or whether you're an adoptive mom who's giving the child to another family or whatever, you do what you're supposed to do and you step up. Um, so I would say whether you are an embracer or a fighter, 
slash independent. Um, go about it as you go about it. You will be who you need to be when you need to be that person. And as you go through all that journey and you deliver that baby and you go through your experiences postpartum, I mean, I don't mean postpartum depression. I mean, after you deliver, um, no guilt, no judgment on yourself, no judgment on other women and no guilt because we all go through this journey in a very personal way. We all kind of fit into this embracer fighter definition, but it's also extremely personal. And I, I don't like to judge women. I don't like women to judge me. And I don't want us to judge each other. We need to support. And I, get, I just say again, no guilt. Don't be guilty. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so thank much. You so much. <laughs> I hope it Everything. was valuable. Oh, oh my God. Absolutely. 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 It was valuable. Um, and I'm excited for our listeners to connect. I'm so mm -hmm. excited. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I yes. love that you guys are doing this and um, I, it's just thrilling to be a part of it. So I'm flattered that you'd have me on your show. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening so to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. 